All right, you probably, you probably would not have guessed this, but my wife, she has a favorite quote from Lord of the Rings, okay? So you probably wouldn't have guessed that because my wife doesn't seem like the type to like Lord of the Rings, but she has a favorite quote from Lord of the Rings. In fact, I think she was the first person to show me this quote from Lord of the Rings, and it's actually from the third book, Return of the King. And if you don't know the basic plot line of Lord of the Rings, where have you been? I don't, I don't know, like, okay, like you should know that, all right? I know sometimes people play on the movie, I don't like it too much, too bad, like just get through it, okay? Like get through it, it's a cultural thing for us, all right? And so, uh, so how, how it ends is Frodo and Sam, they defeat evil by destroying this ring and they kind of like go into a coma or something, right? And then some eagles come and take them and they're in this room and they're like waking up to these people that they haven't seen for a long time because they started this journey with this fellowship of the ring, that's movie one, and book one, and, and then they split off uh, for the sake of strategy. And so, uh, so Samwise Gamgee, best character in the series, great last name if you ask me, he, he wakes up and he sees Gandalf, and Gandalf is this powerful wizard, if you don't know, who the last time Sam saw Gandalf, Gandalf was falling down a giant hole fighting like a demon beast, okay? So he thought Gandalf was gone, and so he sees Gandalf, and this little section is my wife's favorite section from Return of the King, and here's what Samwise says. At last, he gasped, Gandalf, I thought you were dead, but then I thought I was dead myself. Is everything sad going to come untrue? What's happened to the world? A great shadow has departed, said Gandalf. And then he laughed. And the sound was like music or like water in a parched land. And as he listened, the thought came to Sam that he had not heard laughter, the pure sound of merriment, for days upon days without count. It fell upon his ears like the echo of all joys he had ever known. But he himself burst into tears. Then, as a sweet rain will pass down a wind of spring and the sun will shine out the clearer, his tears ceased and his laughter welled up. And laughing, he sprang from his bed. How do I feel? He cried. Well, I don't know how to say. I, I feel, I, I, he waved his arms in the air. I feel like spring after winter and sun on the leaves and like trumpets and harps and all the songs I have ever heard. And that's my wife's favorite quote from Lord of the Rings. And to me, that quote sounds just like Revelation 21 sounds. If you're new here, we've been going through the book of Revelation this fall. We've been going through it week by week, more thematically, not every single verse, but we've covered a lot, the vast majority of the book, and we're nearing the end of the book. There's only two more chapters. Today we're in Revelation 21. Next week we'll be in Revelation 22. And what we have seen is last week, what began to happen in the book of Revelation is Revelation takes this shift into this theological word we learn called the parousia. This is just what scholars say to, to make themselves feel better about saying the return of Christ, okay? Like that's the word they use. But we get these different scenes at the end of the book of Re Revelation of God actually returning to earth and these different symbols and these images to represent that and explain that and tell us about that. And 21 continues that imagery. It continues these scenes of what happens when God returns. And it uses all of these beautiful images to, to declare that and tell us about it. And to me, Revelation 21 sounds so much like that conversation that I just read that Sam has with Gandalf. 
But honestly, Revelation 21 sounds so much better. So here's what we're going to do today with Revelation 21, which sounds better to me than Samwise's conversation with Gandalf. We're going to um, really look at the imagery described in this chapter. First, we're going to start, we're going to read three sections of Revelation 21. And then we're going to focus in and hone, or like home in on two images in particular. We're going to look at this image of a new Jerusalem coming out of the sky to earth. That's a huge image in Revelation 21. And we'll kind of see all the things connected to that idea in that image. And then secondly, we're going to look at this image of God wiping away every tear. And we're just really going to focus on both of those images in this sermon and what they mean for us and what they tell us about God's return to earth. Okay, so let's, let's start by just reading a lot of Revelation 21. We're going to read just three beautiful sections of chapter 21. We're going to read verses 1 through 7, then I'm going to read verses 9 through 11, and then 22 through 27. It's a, it's a lot of reading, but it's some of my favorite words in all of scripture, so too bad if you <laughs> like to deal with me. It's my it's show and tell. So um, chapter 21, verse 1. It says this, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, behold, I'm making all things new. Also, he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. Verse 9. Then came out of one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues and spoke to me saying, come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain and showed me the holy city Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, having the glory of God, its radiance like a a most rare jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. And then it just describes this, this city with all this ornate uh, stonework and all this kind of stuff. And, but then we hop in verse 22 and we see more about this city. And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it, and its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. They will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations, but nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Revelation 21 
is such good news. At some point, God is going to take care of everything. That's, just, that's like the summary of Revelation 21 right there for you. At some point, God is going to come back and take care of everything. I can't get enough of Revelation 21. It is our Christian hope put into words. So the first way that this, this hope is put into words is with giving us this imagery of, of the new Jerusalem coming out from the sky and landing on the earth. If you don't know enough about ancient Israel, Jerusalem was their, their capital. And so Jerusalem right here is being used as this picture like of, of their capital kind of because of the, the ancient people of God were the Israelites. And you get this image of God bringing a decked out, huge, beautiful, new Jerusalem to earth. Notice something about this imagery. Notice something about this imagery. The only rapture that we see in Revelation is a reverse rapture. Christians in Revelation don't go up in the sky to meet God. God comes down to earth to meet them. That's the imagery we're given. We're given in Revelation of this new Jerusalem, God bringing Jerusalem to earth. God comes to earth to his people. And he brings this city with him, this new Jerusalem. And it's a city that, that has no temple in it. Uh, if, you, if you don't understand the temple imagery there, the temple for the Jewish people, the temple was not just where they worshipped God, but for them, it was where the manifest presence of God was. So, all that being said, here's what the new Jerusalem imagery teaches us about the return of God at the end of time. At the end of time, God is going to live with us. He's not going to dwell in a temple anymore. He won't just dwell in us through the Holy Spirit. He will dwell with us here on earth. At the end of time, he brings heaven to earth, not us to heaven. Heaven in the Bible is really just shorthand for the place where God is. So to be clear, I think when we die, we go to heaven. We go to the place where God is. But that's not how the story ends. That's temporary until God brings the new Jerusalem, until God comes back and brings heaven to earth. In the story of the Bible, God made earth. And it, how it starts off is he puts these humans in this Garden of Eden. And garden, the Garden of Eden was supposed to be the place where God's creation and heaven were unified. It was a place where heaven and earth met. And a lot of what you see God doing throughout the Bible is, is kind of bringing himself to the, to the people of earth. And so, what, so Eden was a place that both where God was and his creation was. And Revelation now in chapter 21 tells us the story of God returning. And what he is doing is he's making the earth as it was always meant to be. It, was a, it should be a place where heaven, the place where God is, and his creation meet and come together where they are one. The imagery in Revelation in my opinion, it's not the destruction of the earth, 
but a renewing and a making new of the earth. He is refurbishing and purifying his creation so that he could dwell here with us in it. I can't wait for that day. I long for that day. Isn't that what your soul longs for? To, like, to live with God? Like, don't, you, don't you just like wish you could run up to God like he's your roommate? Right? I'm going to be an annoying roommate to God. Right? I, I've got a lot of questions. Right? And I, I've got a lot of emotional needs. And so when God begins to live with us, he's going to bear the burden of both those things. Have you... Let me kind of veer a direction a little bit and describe it another way. Have you ever... Have you ever felt something or been in a situation and you're kind of like, man, I hope that's what heaven's like. Or this must be what heaven is like. For a few months ago, I was uh, hanging out with two of my best friends. I've known one of them since I was in fifth grade. I knew the other since I was in ninth grade. And we are just so close. Uh, we know each other so well. We know each other through and through. All we were doing was having dinner together and then playing a board game after together. And what, what was so fun about this time was like our senses of humor, they're just like perfectly aligned. Like we know what will make each other laugh. And so there's like this dance all night of like trying to make each other laugh in a good, in a holy way. And we're just making each other laugh. We're teasing each other. But because of just the amount of shared love, there's like no pain in the teasing, only joy in the teasing. And so we're all, all night, we're laughing, we're having fun. And just like, I'm like, these guys get me and understand me more than anybody else in the world. And I'm leaving, I'm driving home, and I'm like, man, is it? That's got to be what heaven is like. That's got to be what heaven is like. And then you kind of have this, sometimes in moments like that, uh, at least me, I kind of have these, this sadness a little bit, because I'm like, how can I make every single like, part of my life like that? <laughs> like, why can't I have that all the time? And you go, it's just not, it's just not possible. It's not realistic. C.S. Lewis, he actually talks about that very idea. He talks about this in, in his book. It's really kind of more of an essay, The Weight of Glory. He talks about this idea that, that we have this feeling inside of us, especially in those kinds of moments like I just described. And it's like this secret feeling inside of us, this, these secret feelings, longing for more, thinking we were made for unending moments like the moments I just described with my friends. He says, this secret, in the human soul, it's a secret that, that even hurts us because we can't satisfy the longing here. here. Here's what he says about it. He says, I'm trying to rip open the inconsolable secret in each one of you. The secret which hurts so much that you take your revenge on it by calling it names like nostalgia and romanticism and adolescence. Basically, before I go on in the quote, he He's saying that we all have this secret, inconsolable longing inside of us for more. And those moments in our life that point to that are, are, are the sort of, like, we, we want it more. And we often just explain it away. Oh, I just wish I could be a kid again. I wish I didn't have to have these responsibilities. Whatever, we, we explain it away with these different words. And Lewis, he actually says that longing inside of us is actually pointing to something very true. Here's what else he says about those moments. 
He says, for they are not the thing itself. They, those moments, are only the scent of a flower we have not found, the echo of a tune we have not heard, news from a country we have not yet visited. And then later in that same essay, he says, apparently then, our lifelong nostalgia, our longing to be reunited with something in the universe from which we now feel cut off, to be on the inside of some door which we have always seen from the outside is no mere neurotic fancy, but the truest index of our real situation. And to be at last summoned inside would be both glory and honor beyond all our merits and also the healing of that old ache. Do you ache for goodness? That's your ache for Revelation 21. Do you ache for friendship unending? That's your ache to live with God and the family of God forevermore. Your every longing in your body is there because your body knows someone is missing out of your life. That someone is God. And Revelation 21 says he won't be missing forever. One day, there will be no need for a temple because he himself will be the temple. He himself will bring his manifest presence to earth and live among us. That is so beautiful. One day, all of those longings, all those moments where you go, I wish all of life could be like this all the time. Isn't this what heaven's life like? God will come back and he will say, here's what you've been longing for. Here's the flower you've been trying to smell. That's what Revelation 21 communicates. It's so beautiful. It's so beautiful. Here's the other thing to notice about Revelation 21. The Bible, it starts off with the story of God putting humanity in the garden, Adam and Eve in the garden. It ends with, the Bible ends with God putting humanity in a city. Revelation is cluing us in on the the trajectory of the story of the Bible, but also cluing us in on our purpose as humans. God made us to be culture cultivators and creators like humans are meant to be cultivators we were made to build good and holy cities where heaven and earth meet so what revelation 21 communicates is not only one day god will return and we will get to live with him forevermore we will get to live with him here on this wonderful planet unstained by sin living fully into our human purpose. So that means we're going to be able to work uninhibited by sin. We will get to have friendships uninhibited by sin. We will get to play and build and eat and experience all the beautiful parts of creation, but without sin in them. That's what your soul longs for. That's what you were created for. That's the flower you're trying to smell. And Revelation 21 says, it's not just a distant, it's a promise. It's not just a fun idea. It's not just a human longing. It's a promise from God that he will bring that. It can't come soon enough as far as I'm concerned. 
Revelation 21 is just a glimpse of what's going to be so much better in reality. Even how I'm explaining right now, I, I'm probably feeling a hundredfold. 10,000 years from now, you're going to say, see, Anthony, you were wrong. I go, I know, because Revelation 21 is just a glimpse. It's going to be way better. There's like things about it I can't even explain right now because I don't have the human capacity or ability to. But one day, God is going to live with us. He's going to reunite heaven and earth. And we will get to enjoy God and his good gifts forevermore. Revelation doesn't end with the story of the afterlife. Revelation ends with the story of what happens when true life without death really begins. I can't wait. I can't wait. Because honestly, I'm sick of death. I'm sick of death and its stench and how it affects this world and me and all kinds of people in all kinds of ways. Which brings me to the second image that sticks with me, this image of God wiping away every tear from every eye. Imagine it. Remember, Revelation wants to use our imaginations. So imagine God comes back and personally, individually, he walks up to you and wipes away your tears. He wipes away the pain once and for all. Just imagine it. Imagine him doing that with his own hands, walking up to you and wiping the pain away forever. I can't wait again for God to do that with me. When I was in therapy, one of the things I often said to my therapist, especially at the beginning of therapy, was kind of like this. I'd be like, hey, uh, here's what's wrong with me. Here are the things that make me sad. Here's the things that make me depressed. Here are the situations I've been in with people where I've been hurt. Here's how that's affecting my heart. Here's how that's affecting my mind. Fix me. (laughs) Make it go away. Can you please just, here's all of it. Now, what do I got to do? Like, what's, what I realized was I was treating my therapist more like a mechanic and less like a therapist. Like I was hoping, I was just like a car, that would be like, oh, you just need some oil, like, right? Like, like I, that's what I was hoping for. And so then it was a bummer to learn in that process that although I, I can't, I could find some level of healing, some level of repair through therapy, uh, it wasn't gonna be as simple as fixing a car. And, and then honestly, uh, there's some things that therapists can't fix, they can help but there's just some things they can't fix, which is disheartening when you get to that point in therapy, because then you're like, am I just gonna have this like emotional limp for the rest of my life? And you're like, I just gotta figure this out. I just gotta figure out how to emotionally limp for the rest of my life. But then I read Revelation 21, and I realize what it communicates is one day God will fix me. God will heal me. God will repair my heart. He will take my heart and do in it what only he can do. That moment like with my therapist where I'm like, here it all is. God will actually approach me and go, I know all of it. And let me fix it. Let me wipe away your every tear. Let me wipe away every pain you've ever had. 
Revelation 21 communicates to us that at some point, everything sad will become untrue. Everything sad that has happened to me and to you will be wiped away forevermore. In fact, I think everything sad will be reversed. I think everything sad will be redeemed is the more biblical word. Like sometimes this is, this is kind of, this is not biblical, but this is kind of just how I imagine it. Is like, what if God somehow mends every single painful relationship that I've been in and have had? Like, what if somehow God is like, I'm just going to sit them down. I'm going to sit Anthony down with the, people's, the people he has hurt and the people that have hurt him. And one by one, we're just going to work it out. Only the way that God can. Right? I don't think that's how it's going to go down. But I like to imagine that. Because I know that when God says he's going to wipe away every tear, he's going to take away all the pain, he's going to fix everything, I know that he could do it that way. I know that whatever he ends up doing, it will be like that happened. Revelation 21 promises to us that we will finally be healed. All of our heart pains will go away. We will be healed from our heartaches and our heartbreaks. I will be finally fixed. My emotional limp will finally go away. That's what Revelation 21 promises. Also, my asthma will go away, which is, that's awesome. I'm going to outrun you fools all day, every day. I can't wait. I can't wait for that day to arrive. A day when there will be no more tears and God himself is going to be the one to put away the tears. can't wait for that day. Now, Revelation 21, it's this beautiful vision of all these things that God will do, all these things to hope and long for. Like Revelation 21, it should help us as Christians persevere as Christians. Like sometimes, if I'm honest, as a Christian, the Christian life itself, it feels a little tedious, pointless, difficult, some other negative word that you want to use. But Revelation 21, you read it and you go, okay, this is what's at the finish line. But Revelation 21 also does something else for us. Revelation 21 disciples us into worshipers and witnesses. We've talked a lot about this. This is what Revelation is trying to do, worship us into a lot of things. But two of those things are to disciple us into worshipers and witnesses. So I think Revelation 21 also does that. N.T. Wright puts it way better than, than I can in his book, Revelation for the Rest of Us. So I'm just going to read what he says about that idea. The, the quote will be on the screen. He says, just as nothing we do in the present is merely relevant to the present, but can carry implications into God's future, so nothing in the vision of the future is merely future. Because the central reality of God's future is Jesus himself, and because Jesus is not merely a future reality, but the one who lived and died and rose again and even now reigns in glory and holds the seven stars in his hand, the reality of the new city, though still a matter of hope, is something to be glimpsed in the present, especially in the ways sketched out throughout this book, worship and witness. The new city is, is not just a dream, a comforting future fantasy. 
Those who follow the Lamb already belong in that city and already have the right to walk its streets. God might, he did not, but God might have abandoned his creation in disgust because of Babylon's wickedness, just as he might, he did not, have abandoned the Israelites in the wilderness because of the golden calf. But out of sheer mercy, he will come to dwell with his people, and that mercy will flow out to flood the whole world. And church, guess how that mercy flows out to the whole world right now through you, through the church. And I don't mean the institution. I mean us, the family of God, the people of God, the body of Christ. That's how that mercy right now flows out to the whole world. So how will the world get a glimpse of this new Jerusalem? Through your worship and witness. How you live your life is worship to God, Romans 12 says. How, how you live your life acts as a witness to God and the reality of God and who he is. So how will the world get a glimpse of the joy that we will have there with God at the end of time? Through your joy. How will they know that God is going to come back one day and wipe away every tear? Through you wiping away every tear. How will they know that death was not what they were made for? How will they know that death is not part of the natural order? Through you mourning death and crying out for resurrection. Church, the new heavens, the new earth, the new Jerusalem are not simply a fantasy to help us persevere as Christians, but they are images that help us know what we bear witness to with our lives. God's kingdom through Jesus has already come, but one day God's kingdom in its fullness will come. And until it does, you and I, our calling is to worship him and to be witnesses giving glimpses of his kingdom. The same sort of glimpses that were shown in Revelation 21. Church, may we worship God Almighty and be witnesses to him until he returns so that this world can get a taste of Revelation 21 before it happens. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for Revelation 21, God. It gives us such hope. It gives us such vision. It gives us uh, such an idea of your goodness. God, I don't, I don't know exactly what you want to do with Revelation 21 with each person here. I think for some, you want it to help us persevere. For others, you want it to inspire us, to take our calling seriously. I think for all of us, you do want it to be something that makes us hope in you and what only you can do. And, and so, Spirit... Please do what you will do with our hearts, with these words. Do all of that and more. Let these words be refreshing for us. Let them be beautiful to us. Let us realize our every longing is a longing for Revelation 21. 
And God, may we take our identity as your church seriously as we worship you and witness, act as witnesses to you. Because just like N.T. Wright says, in one sense, we walk those city streets right now because of the power of your spirit, because of what Jesus did on the cross and through the resurrection. God, we love you. We need you. Father, we cannot wait for you to show back up. Amen.